Welcome to the Grinders Table, the podcast where we sit with C-suite executives and founders who are taking their industry by storm to figure out how you can build an exceptional career and business. Together, we'll try to uncover how they have both defined the odds and what you can learn from their experience. Hello, everyone. Um, today is a really exciting episode because we're speaking with Timmy Tome. To me, Tokpe Ekundaye. Now I have to, I've butchered the name. Um, as in my usual fashion, I don't like to introduce people on the podcast. I like them to introduce themselves. So Timmy Tokpe, over to you. Hi, um, my name is Temi Tokpe Ekundayo. No, Daye, not Temi Dayo. Oh. Um, <laughs> just catching fun. Um <laughs> Thanks for having me here, Uwem. I'm really excited to be on your program. Um, kind of one of those people I look up to in the ecosystem. Um, so in the starting point, what about what is it about Tokbe? Hmm, it's quite difficult to say, but I'll just start with saying my name. I'll just start to say I'm someone who loves to challenge the status quo and someone who likes to solve difficult problems. Um, I think over the course of my life, I've always gravitated to the most difficult things, and it's just shaped the way I am. Um, from starting the early days, um, I was just intrigued with my dad, um, who had a business and still runs a chemical um, advisory company. And I, I, at the early days, I've just always been wanting to understand what would maths and Excel sheets and graphs, I always see him open in his system. And it, I think, drove me to want to be like him, right? Um, and so I enrolled in geology to study earth sciences. But as you have it, um, school plans and, and, well, the other plans didn't happen. Um, my school practically, I would say, Throughout my four years in university, I didn't really get what I wanted. Um, I was acing on my tests and exams, but there was nothing so challenging for me. And so I've, I started wandering around the country, meeting up new people, going for conferences, taking up leadership roles, engaging in projects that will help build out. And then from there, I, I felt I, I saw I got a knack of planning projects, executing ideas, and running. And, and the entrepreneurship bug just kind of stuck, if you will. And so I decided to start a consultancy company. Um, and I started consulting for a lot of people. Um, it even actually got me um, a, a scholarship to the U UK, where I then went to study um, in the University of Sussex and then did their go to marketing. Um, and so on my way back to Nigeria, I, I had a quite successful um, run, doing quite a lot of consultancy jobs for so many people. And so I felt, well, it's good to just settle in and, and continue on this line. At that point in time, I, I, when I got to Nigeria, my friend was like, oh, you've helped a lot of business scale, come join me to build out this telecom company. And so we started, I started a vast and telecom company. I grew that business in one year signed all the major guys at Salat, Nine Mobile and all. I was bored. You are young and bored. I had a lot of money. So yeah, you know, that's the worst thing you can do. I decided, well, I'm, I'm tired and I need something new and I need to switch. And the next most interesting thing is I went to 
a school and I became a principal at a school. Yeah, it's the most craziest story if I tell people. Um, and then I just started helping grow the school. It was new. I loved the woman's vision. And I just, and I was in NYSC then. So, but I was taking charge of the school, helping our skill. And the first cohort of students, we were like 73. And by the end of the next quarter, it grew to be 500. Um, and the most interesting growth strategy then, I, I think that's where we started this whole growth thing was, I used parties to get the students. I noticed that mostly there were a whole lot of kids in that estate, like the mighty estate. And I noticed that students come back and they just like hang out outside their gate. So we felt, let's do a party and just invite the kids. So when the kids came, they loved Bouncing Castle, all those things, they loved it, they loved, or uh, they, they literally said they didn't want to go anywhere than that school. And that's how they got enrolled. It was that um, from there, it's been doing pretty much. But again, the same boredom got um, involved and I decided I wanted to try something new and more difficult. I went and launched an agency and from an agency with this hard crazy life, the final calling on the wall was, now I wanted to go back to consultancy and I said, let me print a business card. And then I was searching for a service similar to what I used in the UK. And that's how I stumbled on Printivo. And he hit me and I'm like, I must work for this business. It was just there. And I reached out to Yomi then. Yomi, I would love to be part of this idea. I know you're still, and he's like, okay, come on. I'm like, wow, okay. Because I felt that I wanted to do so much convincing, but he's like, join. And so that's how I partnered up with Yomi and two other amazing friends, Ibukun and Deji, and we launched Printivo. And yeah, at, at the time we launched, 2013, it was the worst period of time. The internet wasn't as great. There was no logistic business that had its head in its shoulder. They still don't, but it was even worse, worse than the maps were not working. There was so much payment on delivery um, bug that was going on. A lot of people were not trusting internet businesses after 2013. So if you look at it from every angle of consultancy, it is the worst time to start the business because all the variables you need to survive were again stuck right against you. But I think from share will and determination and just that young crazy bravado, we, we went to market and 10 years down the line, it story is different. But yeah, I think one thing I've always just done is how I speak to people who help talk about business models. I think these are what excites me, understanding how people think creativity and applying them into, into like life. And so if I can contribute to that every time and every day, that would be the best for me. And how I would, I think that's how I get fulfilled, helping um, see ideas come from paper to life and grow and scale and employ more people who then go on to become employers themselves in the future. So I'll say to me, who am I? I'm basically a builder. That's just the only thing I'm going to calmly say. Um, and I'm also a learner. I keep learning constantly on this journey. Um, official title, I'm currently CEO of Printivo and then co-founder of Get Equity, which we'll get into along the line. But yeah, that's everything about me. Yeah, definitely. Then, um, in the case, I love parties. I like hanging out. <laughs> And, and I love hosting parties. I like cooking. Yeah, all those things just keep me balancing my very crazy busy life. Yeah. 
Okay, we'll get into Printivo, um, Get Equity, which I love, and um, your love for cooking and parties. But one thing I, I, I've, I've, I've seen is that you love solving problems. You like breaking down problems. Would you, would you love to share, I wouldn't say your secret sauce, but how do you break down problems or come up with solutions when you encounter challenges or problems? Oh, interesting. Okay. Very interesting point. So first things first is that maybe it's two things. I have a very hungry, curious mind. So I'm, I think if we're looking at my Google search history and index, Google should give me a badge because I would, I would go through the end searching for keywords. I, I would test every type of keyword imaginable to get all the data I need and from. And so the first time, whenever I encounter problems, I go back to research. Like, is there an existing problem that has been solved in any other markets? Like I go back to my research mode. I research extensively as I can. And I always, I'm a very calm person. Because people like, it's a very interesting nature. Sometimes I can be a short fuse, but when there are problems, I am literally just very calm, like ice block calm. And I'm already analyzing problem, um, solutions to those problems. Like while everybody might be filtering, my mind is just already on a solution focus mode. Oh, okay, there's, there's no light. Okay, can we get a gen? Do we need a backup power system? Can I get an ISP? Do I call NEPA? Like, oh, that's what's already wearing my mind while everyone is feeling, oh, whoa, there's no NEPA. Like, that's literally how my mind has been programmed to find solutions where there are problems. And so the first breakdown is when I do research, I have a lot of information I can soak in. The next is now to look at this problem and break it down into phases. Like, the first phase will be, um, what is causing this problem? So like an audit, right? What is the problem? The problem is that this business is not scaling well. Okay, what could be the elements that cause that business not scaling well? Human potential, um, human resource being the major thing, finance the second, the business model itself, the market environment. So I start taking each one as a single um, single block. And then when I review those blocks, I now go in depth to say, and one thing about me, I'm very bold to tell you the truth. If your management sucks, I'll tell you your management sucks. Because if you don't, I, like one problem I've seen in consultants is when they try to sugarcoat problems, I tell you as it is. Because if you don't tell people the truth and play psycho fancy, at the end of the day, the result will be clear. When the business dies, it's not going to be on anyone's head. It's you that who showed us that business as the CEO, as the key responsibility person. So you have to be a bit detached away from your baby and look at everything from the eyes of an external. What is going well? What do you need to change? So when I look at problems, I break them into smaller units and then start solving them into different days. So in my mind, I've already looked at the problem. I've split it into six problems and six solve problems, then I bring stack sheets across those problems. And that's how I usually solve problems in my head. Now, all these things I am speaking happen instantly. So I don't know. It's not a humble brag. I just know that that's how my mind works. Um, and so that's why most times when someone comes with a problem, I'm, it literally, they tell me I'm giving them immediate fixes because to you is immediate. In me, I've worked out all the information 
after I've read. And sometimes, and good thing is whenever I read things, I retain them as much as possible. So I remember a business model like your model where maybe I've failed because they didn't do something and I'm able to give you a solution on the spot. Well, that is, I think, is just how I would say problem solving has come to me. Uh, you, you really do have an interesting process. Uh, but, but let's let's take it is some step back to um, the past. Would you say that, and, and, and you actually credited your father, right? Some of the things he did. But would you say that what you studied in school and some of the habits you picked from your home influence where you are today? Ah, very, very interesting question. Um, so yeah, in two ways, I'll say the entrepreneur bug definitely was from my family. Uh, my mom, my mom is, my mom is a salesperson. Although she's a doctor, she's a salesperson, right? In the sense that she's always looking to buy stuff, sell stuff, and she has like, she literally turned our house to a farm. Like we had a full-on farm. When I say almost what you can think of from um, chickens, snails. We had <laughs> we had a mighty orchard. We just had a lot of different things in the house. And I think she, she was just, I was watching her how she runs and sells fishes. And imagine as at early as 5 a.m., you have market women coming. I'm saying market women, I'm saying like a long line of almost 30, 40 of them to come by from us. So I was always intrigued about my parents. My dad himself is a brainiac and he has the, you know, you know, in this kind of case, when you say I came first in class, you know, all those parents always see that thing, you feel I do this one, my dad has the evidence for it. So when he shows you all his, all his first classes and first in class and best, best in mathematics, you just keep quiet and, and shut up and like, okay, <laughs> right. But, um, and I see him as a petroleum engineer. I quite have learned a lot of things. He had those books. I enjoyed reading his books. So it's where I got the knack for reading and also where I love to sell things. Like those, I think, were my basic blocks. But yeah, I think also the environment in the sense that when I went to school, I won't mention my school here because I don't know who might be listening. They might hold on to my certificate. But in my school, Sadly, two years, the professors went on sabbatical and they left us with teaching assistants who were not none the wiser. I was using National Geographic and Discovery to answer most of my stuff in geology. I won't believe it, but that was the truth. And so I felt bored. And at least that time of traveling, meeting new people, then defined my problem solving problem skills because all this theoretical knowledge, I could experiment and apply them to people's life, and I saw that it was working. That began my journey. So yeah, hmm. you really do have an interesting journey, really. And I, I often tell people that the people that you grew up with, the people that you find yourself spending most of your time with, influence where you are or where you go, because you end up picking skills and certain things from from all of them. Let, let's talk principle. Um, I, I remember. The first time I saw the principal dashboard, I mean the ad in some somewhere on the on Lagos Island, and I was curious. I was like, who is the who are these people, right? Um, and I know how incredibly difficult it is to scale biz, a business like that when the infrastructure at that time was almost non-existent. 
how did you, in the face of all the challenges that existed as a problem solver, help lead the growth of a company like that? Seeing that, um, obviously, they will say there's a talent deficit. They will say uh, you have to manage investors' money and all that, all that. How did you thrive in your role? And this is, I'm talking about your role before you became CEO. Yeah, yeah, sure. Very good question. Uh, like I said, when I joined with Evo, my the I think the 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 role the, or the how do I put it the mandate from your me side was to figure out the entire sales and operation sheets. Like he's a creative designer, brilliant uh, product thinker, very brilliant strategist, very very brilliant leader. Um, I really have learned a lot from. Um, over the years so someone that has a lot of wealth of knowledge and his leadership style is very awesome um so in terms of that mandate again young 20 something year old guy i'm jumping into an unknown first and foremost i don't know jack about printing that was what was my negative against me and for the thing, none of us did at that point in time so the question we had to get knowledgeable, even more than the people, the printers that existed in, in Shomolu then, which is like a giant printing hub. We had to learn paper types. We had to learn the grammage thickness. We had to learn the feel. We had to know, like, know them by sight. We had to understand colors. I had to understand printing techniques. Print and it, uh, Printing techniques are wide and varied. So imagine, having multiple different things like which one is large format which is di printing which is offset which is cmyk what is cyan what is magic all those different multiple information well you see that was what i loved those kind of complexities where it was you wake up and you have sixty thousand things to do that was what i think brought in my elements and so immediately i i spoke to the team look if we keep waiting for other people, there are two things. It's either we are not going to send, um, launch this business or we're not going to scale. So in technically, we have to build three companies. We have to build a logistic business, a technology business, and a printing business, and merge all three into one. So your idea was to start an online printing business, but you end up having to start three different businesses at once. And so that was where the madhouse began. We started literally experimenting every single day. We were our first delivery people. So whenever calls come in, we enter a car, we go deliver. And because we're delivering quickly, again, it's easy, right? It's our business, so we have the passion to do it. But when you add one more person, the difference in um, passion, <laughs> of course, changes. And so we start having to figure out how do we get to even understand route. If someone is calling me from Okomaiko, I've never been there before. Who, how do I get there? So we started, first thing we had to now split the, the Lagos State into zones, right? Again, all we were doing, we were not, I didn't know anywhere. I just did it my side. I now go back to DHL and I find that this is even how DHL does their system. So credit to us at that young time, we were just figuring shit out right we broke um we broke things into different local government and states and then started finding out how to even get there and from there we figured out a bit of our logistic operations 
we started going to how to package um, Ibukun, who was one of the co-founders, very good designer, was very involved heavily in the packaging system. We started experimenting how to package cards, how to package envelopes, how to package different things. And we just started testing until one work. I think the very first signature one was like a, a stand. And we put that stand and it was just beautiful, right? Because the card will just pop out and you can pick it up. And so that's how we built our packaging. We now had to figure out operations, right? Core operations. We had to find people who could print and operate our machines. And so we started even looking for machines and man, machines are expensive, right? So for us to even get there, we needed to get volumes. And the immediate first point was, okay, let's start with a bit of outsourcing. But then they were not either getting our standard of quality because we were all coming from agency side, don't forget, right? And our pain point at that time was dealing with printers. Literally, we had to, sometimes as agents, we had to go and arrest printers. That was how bad it was. And so our standard was extremely high and we wanted that quality and we said we must get it or we, or we will go home. And so we... I, I mean, I went to Surulere to look for paper manufacturers and um, paper um, importers. And we started searching and searching, and then we found one of them, which is one of the largest. And the guy's like, wow, love your idea. But you see, for you guys, what we like, what you need to purchase from us is large. So we will direct you through the supply chain, who is the wholesaler down to the retailer. So that was how we found the wholesaler that. It takes majority from the importer and we struck a deal and got the right paper types and started figuring out uh, the print quality. And two most interesting things happened as we were daily on hustle, people were just coming to us daily to ask, how can they help? How can they work with us? And from there, that's how we found our first dispatch rider, right? Um, Habib, very brilliant guy. And he decided to deliver. He was doing both mainland and island every day. I mean, at that earliest time, I had to give him kudos because the, the, the way our global demand started was funny, right? Because when we started the, the very first iteration of the website, we were scared to launch it. We were like, might it work or not? So we just self-doubting ourselves. But then someone just reached out on Twitter and that's why Twitter has been very, very vital for us and said, She's in Nigeria. She's traveling tomorrow. She needs a business card. And immediately we reached out and said, we can get it done. She was a bit skeptical. So we said, don't make payment yet. Order on the site. When it's ready, make the payment and we get to you to deliver. And I think that's why we stopped payment on delivery. I mean, it's, we imbibe that habit from the one never to do payment on delivery. And till now it has stuck, right? And so when she made payment, again, she was still self 50-50 skeptical. After she made payment, 20 minutes later, she got a call. We're on the way to your location. And she was shocked. And we got there with her business card in time, like six hours before our flight. And immediately she went on Twitter and said, this works. And we happened to find out that that was a journalist. I think she worked for the BBC then. And literally, that was how our demand skyrocketed. We started getting calls and the first major business customer reached out to us to give us a major poster 
And imagine your life, like you get to see instant million in one day. It was the craziest thing. And that was how it became a roller coaster. It was, again, all hands on deck. We were just a small team of like six running across board, getting things done, ensuring customers were happy. But it was the wildest life that um, I wouldn't trade for anything. So in my figuring out process, I think the first thing, like I said, was to, was to see that this problem that would need three businesses to be built. And so we started building all three together. Your me focus more on the technology side, um, built out the product documentation, did all the concept notes. And because he's a designer, I was able to build out the first UI, UI side. On the printing side, I left that to the product, figure out supply chain, all the vendors that we need and all. While I focused on logistics and also it was a division of labor, but we built this engine and since then it's been spinning. Amazing stuff. By the way, listeners, if you're wondering who the Yomi is, this is um, Uli Yomi Ojo, who was the founder of Printivo. Um, just one more question on your shifts in at Printivo because I really, really love what you've built and I really love how you all go above and beyond to solve the customer's problems, me included, because I've used your service several times. Um, one of the biggest, I, I, I okay, let me backtrack. Um, some days ago, I think I saw Yomi post about somebody that joined as an intern and now is a developer at the firm, right? I'm, I'm, and I love those kind of stories, right? I like when talents develop in the system. But people always say that finding the right talent is very, very important, right? And very, very hard in our climbs. Um, what do you focus on? Filling a role fast? Would you focus on quickly filling a role or actually taking your time to feel, to get the best fit? Hmm. So in terms of talents and how we hire, basically, that's something I think we do that's interesting. It's just about a sense of if this person will be able to, to even go. So we have a very meticulous patient with we hire. Um, so you can go through the very first round um, where we filter out. Um, those questions might be asked to, you might be asked to do a very interesting thing like one, we give you a case study, read up on case study and tell us in your own word what, like what you mean. What we're gauging a lot is how you think, how you problem solve from the one. The second one is that it's now a test of skills and experience, which is the, so we, we have given the freedom that each department interviews who they want to see because they'll be working with those people. And so if you're not, okay with that person. Um, it's not like we go and interview someone and say, here's the new new person in your team. You do the interviews. You you confirm if this person can, can make it or would waste your time. And so they are very hands-on asking questions and understanding if this will be. And then the last is, of course, a culture um, fit or just to get personality and understand. And because it's very vital for us that we have something working the team here really really like i mean we hear all those family stuff but we don't say it but it's it's an action that is shown most people love hanging out they stay on we even have to chase them out of the office they just love being with each other talk discuss um problem solve um hang out have fun 
because while you're working, you want to play as much. So, um, and they were always just trying to be nice people. Um, I think one of the most important thing in life was me knowing that you need to do good. Um, doing good by being right to everyone. You know what is good, you know what is wrong, you know what is bad. But being good, like literally being good to people, right, is important and it's, it's something that cascades down into the into the principal ecosystem that people who naturally want to do good. So you'll find that a lot of people love what we do. And development, personal development is not joked, joked in our office. Um, we have a lot of books. I'm an average reader, so it cascades to a lot of people who read. Not everyone does, but at least some good numbers do. Um, it's why we also encourage people to... So any, most times, because we have two set of people, we have people who are operators of those machines. Most of them come from Shomolu, and most of them might not be educated. We definitely make it a compulsory. That immediately you are joining, you ask, we pay for your school, you go to learn, you go to school. You either is now National University, or you are going to actual university or polytechnic, whichever, but you must go to school. That is like the law. <laughs> if not, we fire you. Like if you, if you, if we show that, if we see that you're not going to school, we fire you actually. Um, and we encourage like people to understand. One of the major things, and this is the point, I think even if you've listened to Ibuko and Co, many people, some of our, even Ibuko and some people did not have the chance to go to school because they were building. And so they want to give this impact to young people. And that's why for us, we even have, our internship program, always training people, always making sure that they learn to become good. So personal development is good. I mean, I have this running joke, if you pass through Pentivo, you haven't picked up one or two things, then you have a problem. I'm happy that most people who have left on, um, who have moved on from Pentivo, have gone on to do a lot of things, start their own business, um, become art directors at major agencies, join large firms, be and grow in any skill from graphics and all. So watching them grow is also a testament that what we did worked and it's still what we do. So in that case of the intern, he joined basically, right? Um, or I just noticed every evening he's always testing and trying something to code. And I'm like, you should pursue this. I mean, in a normal system, this person is working in a place Ideally, you will not want him to leave because if he leaves, there will not be anybody to fill it. But in my own time, I didn't care. It's like pursue this front-end development work you want to do. And I got the tech guys to start mentoring him. And now he's part of the tech team. He's the front-end and he's already working on two projects for us. So it brings me joy to see that people who take things seriously and want to build their personal development can. And that's why we want to unlock that. Absolutely. I totally agree with this. In short, I tell people that treat your your staff well enough that they go on to become brand advocates for you um, because the world re does not revolve around what you're building. Really, people are going to outgrow you. People are going to go out into the world and it's how they speak about you and for you that will eventually influence perception about you. Um, let's, let's, as we round up, let's, let's talk about get equity, right? Um, what influenced the decision to start Get Equity? And why do you think that Get Equity is the future in terms of funding for startups, especially on the African continent? Right. Great. So again, 
like I said, um, I think it happened in from so it's in three different places or three different uh, or, origin stories, if you will. Well, I think on my own side, um, when you when you hear it, my side was um, again I got that bottom itch, <laughs> if you will. I built a good, scalable, and successful business. Profitable is growing month year on year. What else? Like I've done it. So what? What's challenging? Like there was nothing. I, I needed a, a pick me up, if you will. And so I said, okay, let me start another business. You know, this is where I say I'm crazy because every other person will be saying, let's rest. In my mind, starting a new business was a pick me up. Um, so I said, let me start a new business. And what business I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to do something new. And so I started searching for ideas and then I settled on something around data. And when I started researching around actual data and finding that there's no data kept across and across board or even well structured and worse fact in it in in the ecosystem or startup ecosystem nothing exists and so when all this happened i said hmm, let me try targeting this and start building out the very first mvp and idea in my head of how i can connect these two sources of data together to provide reports, both investors and, and um, founders. And as I was doing that, I started chatting and just talking about it. And on the same time, I, there was this guy called Jude who was not talking about an idea I was going to be working on. And so we kind of just started thinking, we were DMing each other and we we're chatting and talking and we had so much brainstorm. We we're talking about every type of idea, brainstorming across board. And it had similar, like similar opinions and thinking. And it just kind of clicked that we, we needed to do something, but we didn't know yet what. And but on the conversation as you mature, I started speaking to a lot of founders and hearing firsthand encounters of how raising capital was brutal to them. Some some what so that they won't never do it again. Like someone has sworn off ever fundraising in his life. Like you know how scared you have to be to be able to do that. It was something that hit me that there is a problem. And then on the other side, when you start rolling in different communities and circles, you start meeting investors. There's these people telling you, "I'm looking for great business opportunities to put my money in," and you're like, "Okay." This is a justable, um, this is like two different um, problem statements I'm hearing. One person is saying, I can't find investment or raise capital. Another person is saying, I'm looking for opportunity. I said, why, why don't we just merge them together? At the same time, we're thinking, Jude had already started building out an MVP, right? Because as, as a developer, when you have an idea, <laughs> you just quickly started morphing and writing the, the base code for, for what will be get equity. And we just started iterating and started telling our friends about it. What if you could raise from your community, your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to see you scale and succeed? And that was the very um, put on the blockchain, right? But that was the basics of get equity and why we decided it was, it was two things, a bit of um, boredom, a bit of depression, a bit of needing something new and different, but most importantly, wanting to solve this need for our friends because we saw our friends struggle 
and not just people, people we know had something to offer to the, the country, but just couldn't find the right people. And the game of investment is a network effect. So if we could bring more network effects through our technology, then we would have solved phase one of getting people to see businesses and hopefully fund them. And that metamorphosed and my side from a business development side, just thinking around the business, how do we scale, how do we grow, kicked in. And then I just started pushing and creating that demand and supply because like the two-sided network, I needed to get both interested early on investors and, um, and find the companies willing to try this model. It was interesting. It was a bit, no, there were a lot of no's. At the point in time when we were speaking to some investors, it felt like we were fighting with them. And I had to tell the guy, bro, I'm not your enemy here. I'm bringing, I'm trying to solve a problem. If you are not believing in the idea, no problem. Like it was a funny, funny conversation, but we just kept on again, this share will of let's do something, let's launch. And again, it's a giddy, it's a, interesting thing because it's just the same system when I was in Printivo when we were just so scared to launch this product thinking and self-doubting this was our point we had built the idea we had said a bit of beta testing but we were just so scared we were like well what if what if but in a way Jude just like let's launch if nobody likes it we, we go back to our lives and we launched and instantly people like it was mad. It was literally mad. Everybody was screaming happy. And that is when we knew we had something there that really solved the problem. And so for now, Get Equity basically is providing that alternative source of capital from people who are invested in seeing you succeed, be it your customers who pay for your service, to your community of well-wishers, to your family, your friends, and to other venture capital firms, because we don't, for us, we're a bridge. We're not saying don't raise from VC. We're saying VCs, founders come to, come to us. We're creating what we call asynchronous investments. Enough of the chit chat, enough of the questions. Do you believe if you have the trust of this person, if you understand, you know this person, you have the documentation right in front of you. Do you back that person? So if today I come to you, I want to start a new business, or for example, you, Uwem, if you come to someone saying, I want to start a new business, they've seen Uwem over time. He has grown businesses. He has scaled businesses. He has been in the investment world. He has done a lot of things. Would you self-doubt that he can take a business from zero to zero? Yes. You might say for a first-time person, it's harder. But then those people also as first-time have family and friends who believe in their dream. Do we walk away from those ideas? Do we say they won't be existing? I agree not every business is venture backable, but can they source new funding that can help them become venture backable? Because the problem is in the early, earliest checks. That is where there is a depth of problem. There's more mature check sizes between, um, if, like you see, precede, post precede to seed stage, there's a whole lot of concentration there. And now, thank God, there's even now larger growth funds that are coming. But the earliest checks, the very first checks are the hardest because that is, it is believing on someone. It's not their model, it's not their business. Whatever they come to pitch in your mind is rubbish. What is in front of you is that person. You are believing that person can take 
this idea and turn it to something. And we need more of those early checks. Even if, I mean, if you look at Silicon Valley, there are many early checks. And that is why, yes, some people might fail. But would you know what? The growth and maturity of those business people, by the time they even start their third or second business, they end up becoming unicorns. There's a lot of data behind it. We need a lot of entrepreneurs to get us out of the issues of no jobs. I mean, if you look at our statistics in this country, it scares you. You have close to over 60 million out of youth um, homes. We have issues of rising fraud cases. We have so many negative statistics. But you see, for me, that is what is a complex problem. And again, my mind is wearing, wearing high on how to solve it. So we know that get equity is going to be the most the nexus of investing in the coming years. We're telling people to get on it now, invest in those early stage startups. Who knows? Many unicorns will come from here. And we can see that even from how they've grown. Most of them which we invested have gone on to global accelerators in just short months. Many of them have even gone on to be almost acquired. So it's interesting to watch growth from zero to hero and back people who have the passion to change things. And for me, like I said, it's back to where I'm, I'm home, helping people figure out business and just keep on scaling. So for me, I would say, if you're listening out there, I'll do a self-plug, download our app, get on Get Equity, and you can invest from just $10. Like, it won't hurt you. That money might be suya, right? That you end up with in. Just take that leap, make that chance. And again, I won't lie, the risk is there. You, there's a chance you might lose the money. But would you not knock yourself down that if you had an opportunity to back that business early at cheap, would you not take that decision? So that's what I'll leave you with. Thank you. Absolutely. We're on the same, I, I, we, I, we agree on this. Uh, we need to funnel more money into that pre-seed, that angel phase, because although it's the riskiest, it's also the part where you 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 can impact the ecosystem the more and also get the best rewards um, if you actively invest. So absolutely, uh, I think get equity is, is yet to stay. Um, and, and if you look at the far-reaching implications too, the more people are funded, the more people are either making mistakes or validating their ideas, the more people are getting employed, the more... Um, um, people are also getting the experience they need to build better businesses. So what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And rounding up, let's talk about um, your love for cooking and, and parties. I, I guess that this is tied to you trying to find the balance between work and, you know, having a... I wouldn't call it a, what would I say, a life, so a work-life balance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what yeah, are I mean, your thoughts on, on, on that how do you how do you manage to center yourself so that you you not only remain productive you also enjoy the, the journey yeah i mean to be very honest building a business is is crazily hard and you're like i'll say as my role as ceo you are you are wearing almost 30 hats from today you're discussing talents sourcing retaining talent increasing salaries managing finance and ensuring that there's food at the table for any for mouths to feed every month you're worried you're under constant pressure by investors to grow you need to ensure that your business is sustainable you are looking for threats that might kill it 
you're looking to grow your sales. So you are also your salesman, you are selling, you are constantly thinking. That's, that's what I see. You're constantly thinking and worrying as, as a CEO of a business, like every single day you are. So in that kind of sense, I'm not just one, I'm doing it for two um, businesses. It gives me a sense that, look, if I don't take a break, it, I'm going to be affected health-wise. And the worst part of it is that for some also crazy reasons, I don't sleep as much. This is from when I was small. I just find myself 2 a.m., 3 a.m., I'm wide awake. For once this morning, so I'm, I perform much better at night. So I've, since I know I'm mostly awake, I'm always doing things. But I realized that, look, some people will see this and say, it's not a healthy lifestyle. I needed something to do. And I started again searching what makes, what is interesting for me. I leaned back to all the, the thing, events I used to do. Fun fact, I was in a record label. I had, I released one track and I will never, I've hidden that track. Nobody's ever going to ever see. I rapped. <laughs> anyway. I'm coming to hack your laptop. <laughs> so I was, at that point in time, hosting interesting gigs for different artists in Port Harcourt because that's where I grew up in. Um, and so I like doing that. I like hosting people. I just realized that I like hosting people. And I always watch my mom cook because she was actually amazing. It came, like she learned from catering schools and I just watched her. And so I, I picked up and I, I just knew I stayed cooking. And most of my friends like, dude, you're a genius. Your food is awesome. And it's stuck. So I love cooking, grilling and hosting people over. I, I do it every Sundays. I host people over home at the house just to talk about different things in life. I figured that's a way to counterbalance my very extremely busy life. And they like hosting parties, getting people to come have fun. Because I think for me, the more I see people more happy, it makes me happy. So the more I do this, the more it counterbalances my very crazy, chaotic business life. So that is how it has stuck. And why I'm always constantly doing this and I enjoy I enjoy it. We've been speaking to Temitope Kundayo and um, he's really shared his journey with us and lessons from his journey. Thank you, Temitope. And hopefully you, you, so you get to host me. I come for your party. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to say. But I mean, yeah, I would definitely be sending the Ivy out. Um, I will, I will. All right, thank, thank you, you so much. Stuff. Yeah, for spending time Thank with you us. So much, really. Yeah, yeah right. I appreciate it. And hopefully, we get to do this some other time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bye bye. That's all on today's episode of The Grinders Table. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MonsieurOM. That's at Monsieur for Miss Time French, OM. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.